Hello and welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corcor Foundation for Mental Health. I'm Terry, the creator and co-host of this podcast. I've lived with depression most of my life, and I know how easy it can be to feel all alone in the experience. I'm not alone, and you aren't either. And I'm Dr. Anita Sands, a licensed clinical psychologist and life coach with a number of my own diagnoses, all of which bring a certain amount of anxiety and depression along with them. There is great power in shared experiences. We share our own as we engage in intimate and candid conversations with our weekly guests, exploring different perspectives on and experiences with depression. We keep it real because depression is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. Hello, Anita. Welcome back. Hi, Terry. Nice to be here. Nice to see you. We don't use words like crisis very often in this podcast because it can sound sensational or like an exaggeration. But when the Centers for Disease Control reported that in the decade from 2009 to 2019, the number of high school students who reported persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness grew by 40%, and that rates of suicide among people between the ages of 10 and 24 increased nearly 60% from 2007 to 2018. It is undeniable that there is indeed a mental health crisis in the U.S., especially among adolescents. And those statistics are pre-pandemic. There is a documentary on the crisis called Hiding in Plain Sight. It just debuted on PBS in the United States. It is a two-part, four-hour film that follows more than 20 young Americans who have struggled with thoughts and feelings that have troubled and at times overwhelmed them. We mention it because we support all responsible efforts to shine light into the darkness and to normalize conversations about mental health and mental illness. And well-funded, well-publicized resources like this documentary do so on a grand scale. We want to share a line from the film that defines mental illness in really understandable terms. Quote, mental illness is the place where sadness leaves off and depression begins where nervousness becomes anxiety, excitement becomes mania, and habit becomes addiction. It's the place where simply living becomes painful. You probably understand that place all too well. Our guest this week certainly does. Lauren recently graduated early from high school. If your only knowledge of her came from her Instagram account, you'd think her picture-perfect life was perfect. But at 15, Lauren found her life not worth living. This episode discusses her suicide attempt, not in any detail, of course, and what she has learned since. Like every attempt survivor we've interviewed, Lauren is glad to have survived. We'll handle her story and the topic responsibly, but we still want to warn anyone who might be triggered by the content before we begin. And now, Here is Lauren giving her voice to depression. Lauren was diagnosed with depression at 13. It slowly happened. Um, I guess I just started, once once my depression really began, about a year and a half prior to the attempt, 
Um, I started distancing myself from others. I started seeing everything as rejection where, you know, if somebody didn't look at me the right way, I would think, oh no, they hate me. I thought of everything negatively. As a result, her behaviors changed. Looking back, it's clear that those changes were the classic warning signs of depression and possible suicidal thoughts that are so often missed. There are lists of those signs online, but to keep it simple, we need to look for and respond to times that someone just isn't themselves. I personally believe that the biggest one is withdrawing from friends and family and really isolating yourself. Otherwise, um, just not doing things that they enjoy anymore. You know, if they were once very actively working out, they could stop for no apparent reason. Um, If their eating patterns change, if there's a lot of parts that go into it. Um, Even if, like, how they verbally talk, if they're saying how they feel trapped or hopeless or saying that, you know, death might be nice. Just a lot, There's a lot of things that could mm-hmm. really play into, you know. Lauren, if I'd known you at 15, what would I have noticed that was different in the time leading up to your attempt? I was a big volleyball player, and it was at the end of the volleyball season, and I basically just gave up. I stopped trying in practice. I stopped communicating and hanging out with my teammates. Um, I transferred to online school because I was in the midst of COVID and everything. And I was just very, very quiet. I wasn't happy at all. You could just tell by looking at my face that something was wrong. I was very irritable. I would get angry very easily. And the reason why I got angry is because somebody would like try talking to me and that was the last thing I wanted to do I didn't want to talk to anybody so I'd be like I'm fine like go away um I would just be very distant from others that's the main one okay so you just identified what I think is a huge problem someone sees a change in someone they know and takes the responsible step of asking if they're okay and that person says leave me alone How are those two things supposed to work together so that a needed conversation can take place and the person who's struggling can be supported or helped and possibly diverted from an attempt? It's really the way you ask it. Because when I was asked, um, they would just say, how's your day? And it'd just be like my mom, and I'd just be like, mom, I don't feel like talking, like, just go away. And... If some, if she would have said, if she would have sat me down first, rather than just me walking in the door, and she would have sat me down and said, hey, Lauren, how have you truly been feeling? The key word is truly been feeling. Then I definitely would have, I would have been a little shocked at first, and then I definitely would have opened up to her, that's for sure. It's just all about wording and how you say things. And if someone at school or in your family had asked, Lauren, are you considering suicide? Or are you thinking of ending your life? Would you have said yes? I probably would have. Because, you know, before I thought nobody would have cared. Or they would have been like, oh, she's crazy for wanting to think that. But if a friend of mine would have said, 
hey, are you considering suicide? I would have thought, wow, do they care about me? That's just the big one. Like, I'm like, wait, somebody actually loves me and cares about me. And I probably would have been open, been like, I've been having some thoughts and I'm really struggling right now. It was just, see, when you're suicidal, it's very, very hard to open up. So hard, in fact, that like many, Lauren never did it. I don't think anybody knew that I was suicidal. I was too scared that they would completely see me differently, that they would distance themselves from me. I just I just thought of the worst possible scenario where everybody would just completely reject me and be like, this girl is crazy. We, we don't want to have to deal with that. Even with my parents, I didn't want to tell them because I hold a pretty high, I used to hold a pretty high standard for myself where I didn't want them to see you know, that their daughter was struggling and that she felt like a failure. I wanted them to see the best of me. So I just kept it all inside because I just felt like people would just see me not for who I was. As you talk, I'm picturing a very, very tall, very, very wide, very, very heavy door. And it's like creaking as I try to push it open a little bit. But it seems like somebody else would actually have to open the door because because having been absolutely exhausted and destroyed by depression, I know I didn't have the energy to push it open. Is that maybe how you felt too? Yeah, I was just scared for the unknown. I Honestly, I thought in my head, I want somebody to come to me. And if they don't, at some point, um, then I would just, you know, end things. That test, or trap, as it may be better described, is something we've heard from other suicide attempt survivors, the most publicized being Kevin Hines, one of the very few people to have survived a jump from the Golden Gate Bridge. In his documentary, memoir, and many interviews, he has said that he went to the bridge with the thought that if one person asked him if he was okay, if someone noticed him and the fact that he was suffering, he would not have jumped. No one did. Lauren says there are often opportunities to step in before that critical point. She says there were in her case. A big part of my attempt is that, so first off, if somebody first comes to you and says, hey, I feel like I'm very depressed, I've been having negative thoughts, don't shut them down because be open and say, okay, your thoughts are valid. Tell me what's going on. That insight comes from personal experience. Because I didn't say suicide, like suicidal thoughts. I just said, I've been having really bad thoughts about wanting to hurt myself. He said, why would you think like that? You have friends, you have a good family, you're financially stable. There's He would would say, there's no, no, he would just completely invalidate how I felt. And that is one of the reasons that led to my attempt. So just don't invalidate other people's emotions because that's the last thing that they need. They want to feel like that they're being supported. So just be open and honest and be like, hey, you know, I get where you're coming from. We're going to get through this. Um, I'm sorry that you're going through this. I know it's really tough, but things will get better. So just... Be really nice about it. Don't don't try and say, oh, no, you're fine. Don't ignore it. 
One reason for that very typical response is stigma. If you told someone you thought you had symptoms of any other illness, A, they'd be more likely to recognize them as symptoms and accept the illness as valid, and B, odds are slim to none that they would mention your blessings as reasons you shouldn't be having them. Also, a point worth making here, there's never one reason for suicide. Not bullying, job loss, a breakup, or a disappointing conversation. Suicide is complicated. So is depression. It erodes everything, from the way we think of ourselves to the way we view our world and everyone and everything in it. My depression told me that I wasn't going to be successful in my future, that I wasn't nobody, that I wasn't good for anything, basically that I was just a total failure. See, when I'm in those dark moments, I don't see any optimism. I'd say that I thought that I had hit rock bottom, um, that I could, that there was nothing I could do to escape my mind except eternal rest. It was just a very, very dark time for me, and I just wanted to alleviate my pain. I guess I never realized what I had, because I didn't think that I had a great family. I didn't think I had caring friends. I just thought I had nothing. But then in the moment, right after, or in the midst of my attempt, I was like, wow, I do have a loving family. I have friends that care about me. I have all these great things in my life. It just kind of just came on. Fortunately for Lauren and everyone who cares about her, her chosen method allowed time for that reflection, regret, and for quick action to save her life. Not all do. Lauren, you said you wanted eternal rest, and that sounds so peaceful, right? But I remember a minister I interviewed who attempted, who said, if you think you fall gently asleep and wake in an angel's lap, you are very, very wrong. You also shared that when you actually came face to face with death, it was far from peaceful. And I think that's worth mentioning. Mm -hmm. It was very, very scary. It's very, very overwhelming in this moment. Basically, your life is flashing before you, your eyes. You're just thinking about everything that's dear to you, everything that you love. And it's a very scary moment. It's very, very intense. Because then when you see how your family reacts to what you did, you can see the pain. You can hear the pain in their voice, see the pain in their face. It's just a very difficult moment to go through. Lauren understands there will still be very difficult moments in her life, including suicidal ideations, which she still has sometimes. With so many youth struggling right now, we asked what someone should say, what someone in her life could have to make a difference. Well, I feel like the big thing is just don't be afraid to mention, um, don't be afraid to talk about depression or mentioning suicide to them. No. People think that mentioning suicide triggers suicidal thoughts, but there's been a lot of research done that shows that talking about suicide does not increase the risk of it. In fact, it may decrease the risk by allowing people to share their thoughts and feelings that they've been going through. And it just really shows them that there is somebody that is concerned about them and cares about them. See, for me, I feel as if if somebody said, hey, um, how have you been doing lately? Have you had any suicidal thoughts? 
just being straight up honest, I would have been like, yeah, I have been. Um, and I would have thought, like, does this person actually care about how I'm feeling? Lauren then pulled out her phone, accessing a resource she had pulled up for the interview with a list of questions to ask someone you're worried about. And she added this one. Do you ever feel so bad that you just want to end your life? It's a huge question, and one few of us have directly or indirectly asked. If they were to say yes, I wouldn't totally freak out and be like, oh my goodness, we need to take you to the hospital right now. Don't do that. Be calm. Just be like, okay, we're going to get you the help that you need. We're going to get through this. I'm here with you. Um, You're going to either contact their parents or another close relative or a friend, um, tell them about the situation, and then you can call a hotline. That's an option just to have them talk to somebody. Um, You can, which it might take a little longer, but you can find a therapist for them. Otherwise, if it's very severe where they're they're thinking that they're actually going to do it, take them to the hospital, honestly, or an inpatient program, just something that'll get them help. They probably will try and like say, no, I don't need that. But in reality, it, it should be done. You should really get them help. For herself, Lauren says when dark thoughts invade her mind, she now knows to remind herself that even though it never feels like they will, they do pass. And if I do happen to get those thoughts, if part of me can just remember, hey, Lauren, this is temporary. You're going to get through this. You're going to be okay. And then I'm, I know I'll be okay. Because there are parts of me now that even in those down, you know, those negative thoughts, I think to myself, there's a little bit of myself that's thinking, Lauren, it'll be okay. And before I didn't have that at all. Before it was like, nope, everything's terrible. You're never going to be okay. Now I'm slowly starting to adopt the idea that things will be okay. And that takes a lot of hard work. But I've made it this far, and it's going pretty good. Wow, that was very powerful. That was really powerful listening to Lauren's story. And, you know, there's some things that jump out to me, which is that she felt cared about by people if they asked truly, how are you doing? And and specifically, are you thinking about ending your life? Are things so bad sometimes that you're thinking about that? You know, because we do try to teach people that that is not going to increase the likelihood that someone will die by suicide. It's not going to plant a seed that wasn't there. And she just really said over and over how helpful it would have been for someone to just go that extra step and ask. So I'm I'm really I'm really glad that that came through. Me too. And it's interesting because it's hard. It's a hard question to ask. I worked at a crisis line and I lived in fear every time I answered the phone that someone was going to tell me that they were actively suicidal. And I was afraid, even though I was trained. So one of the things that I think that's happening that is really good is that the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800-273-8255, is changing to 988. And that is, by the time this episode airs, it will have happened. And I think it's important to know that if you're calling for yourself, you 
don't have to worry about being judged. You don't have to worry about shocking someone. I mean, these are trained listeners, trained counselors. They've heard this, and they know what to say and what to do to help you get through that crisis. But also, if you don't know what to do or don't know what to say, or you have no idea how to ask that question, you're afraid to ask that question, are you, are you thinking of killing yourself? That is a hard question to ask someone. You can call that number. Put the uh-huh. phone on speaker and say, I'm with someone, and I think they might be suicidal, or they have said that they want to end their life, or they're just having a really hard time, and I have no idea what to say or do. And hopefully at some point, they will take the phone, but even if not, they can answer some questions, or they can answer through you or whatever, but we can't let not knowing what to say or being afraid stop us from saying anything, from doing anything. That's right. That's right. And 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 I love that she even talked about what she would say to someone else, which is, we're going to get you help. Mm-hmm. We are going to get you through this. Mm-hmm. Basically, you're not alone. I'm here with you. And, and I think when you're speaking from the heart, those are the kinds of phrases that would come out anyway. You know, I don't want you to consider this. I care about you. I'm here with you. You're not going to go through this alone. We're going to get you the help that you need. This is what a caring human being would do. And if you can trust yourself to just let that care come out, I think that's probably exactly what you'd end up saying. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about 988 next week in the episode. But before we close today's, I want to thank the family of a young veteran, Tyler, who recently ended his life. And the family chose to support our work by putting Giving Voice to Depression in their obituary for donations. Um, most importantly, I want to say that we're truly sorry for their loss, and that is a different kind of grief and shock, and just also that we are extremely grateful for the support, and we will continue to put out information like today's episode next week's to let people know that there is help. Thank you, Terry. Thank you for saying that. And thank you to Lauren and her family for sharing her story. Yep. truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate and reflect on your own experience with depression, or better understand how to support someone else who is struggling. If this episode has been of comfort or value to you, know that there are hundreds of others like it in our archive, which you can easily find at our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up, even if it's hard. If someone else is struggling, take the time to listen. 